An Apple zero-day attack, a Windows zero-day attack, and how do you report a bug to McDonald's? All that and more, it's the Naked Security Podcast. Doug, when you said how do you report a bug to McDonald's, I was thinking of your fun fact from last week about the bug in the machine. (laughs) The moth. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, probably two different ways to report, yeah, actual yeah. bugs. So we will get to that later. We like to start the show with a fun fact, and the fun fact for everyone this week is that Superman didn't actually fly until the 1940s. Before that, of course, he leapt tall buildings in a single bound, but thanks to a burgeoning animated series being developed at the time, it was discovered that animating the bends of Superman's knees for all his incredible jumping proved to be too complicated. So the solution was human flight, which was much easier to animate. So if you're ever wondering how Superman got his flying superpowers, it was probably uh, that decision was probably made in a boardroom somewhere. Oh, so he could just lean forward, stretch out his arm, and whoosh, he was off with no Newton's laws of motion involved so that his legs didn't have to bend. Well, the knee and, and the ankle and the foot, of course, are very funky joints, so I'm not surprised sure I think it was hard to animate. Keeping with the funky joint theme, there is a funky joint going on at Apple. Another attack, and this is another, seems to be product from the NSO group that put out the Pegasus spyware. So we And it has to do with a booby-trapped PDF and two bugs, actually. Yes. And the thing I don't know at the moment, Doug, and maybe we'll never find out because Apple is being a bit tight-lipped about this, is no. whether these two bugs, <laughs> even by Apple standards, <laughs> they're being tight-lipped. Uh, one is CV 2021-30860, also known as forced entry, which is what the NSO group's spyware use of this has been dubbed by Citizen Lab in Canada, who, who who investigated this whole thing. That's one of the bugs. And as you say, booby-trapped PDFs can trigger this, as I understand it. The other one is CVE 2021-30858. And that's a bug in WebKit that is also a zero-day, that is apparently also in the wild. So that can be triggered, I think, by some kind of booby-trapped web page. And one bug is credited to... Citizen Lab, as I mentioned, the whole NSO group, Pegasus, spyware, forced entry thing. And the other just says an anonymous researcher. So what we don't know is whether these are actually two sides of the same coin or whether, coincidentally, we've got two unrelated, independently discovered, independently exploited zero-day bugs in Apple products. Don't know. And when we say Apple products, we mean, in this case... Macs, iPhones, and iPads. And so my question is just to general yes. consumers. When Apple comes out on stage and they say, well, you know, we've got this operating system for our computers and we've got this operating system that works on our mobile devices, but we're developing them very closely together. Does that, that's great for the consumer generally, but does it also mean a larger attack surface for exploits like this that can affect an entire range of devices, whether they're mobile or, you know, old-timey computers they've always had a lot of common stuff at their core even down to open darwin the open source components that form the the core of the core if you like of all apple's operating systems so as you say 
these bugs, it appears, either one or both of them applies to all of macOS, watchOS, iOS, and iPadOS. My understanding is that Citizen Lab, in the forced entry case, is claiming that in their investigation, it seems that the malware or the, the implant on the affected device, which was some activist who handed it over so they could look at it, they're saying that the that implantation of the of the, the, the spyware component, if you like, was achieved through an iMessage communication. But Apple has officially listed the bug as being in the component called Core Graphics. And as you can imagine, that's an operating system layer component. It's common across all Apple's operating systems on all the CPUs they support. And therefore, even if crooks only know how to exploit this bug at the moment via iMessage, the bug exists at a lower level. Just a long way of saying, if you've convinced yourself, well, I don't use iMessage, so I can put off the update. <laughs> That's no, not no, no. true. The bug in both of these cases is at a lower level. Like I said, one in this core graphics component, the other in what's called WebKit, which is Apple's core web HTML rendering engine. So the problem is when you get a low-level bug in WebKit, even if the crooks only know how to exploit it in one particular way at the moment, in theory, that vulnerability could be exposed to dozens of different apps on your phone or on your Mac. Everywhere. Yeah. And like I said, um, on, your, on an iPhone or an iPad, even if you download Firefox or Edge, for example, which normally would have completely different their own browsing engines in, on the iPhone and the iPad, they have to strip those engines out and they all run on WebKit. <laughs> and the bug itself is an integer overflow, the first one? Uh, the first one, that's the one that is associated with the Citizen Lab article that they're calling forced entry, which was apparently iMessage, person read a message, implant happened, malware on phone. Yes, that's an integer overflow, which is basically where you do a calculation that you assume is going to fit into, say, two bytes or four bytes or eight bytes worth of space, numeric. It's very common when you're dealing with things like images, where you often have to multiply two numbers together with by height. And you need to remember that when you multiply two n digit numbers together, the answer can be up to two n digits long. Try it. Multiply a thousand by a thousand, they're four digits each, and you get a million, which has seven digits in it. So that is presumably the kind of error here. It means that a program could say, hey, I need to multiply x by y. That'll give me the size in bytes of this image I'm about to download. Oh, look, when I multiply 1,000 by 1,000, instead of getting a million, I get 16,960 instead because I lost some of the precision along the way. I allocate that much space. I download a megabyte of memory, stuff it in there. As you can imagine, all hell breaks loose. And at best, the device might crash. At the worst, the crooks might take control. Now, we don't know that that's exactly how this bug happened, but that's the sort of thing that happens with an integer overflow. Okay. Patch early, patch often. There are several ways to do that, depending on your device. feels like we go through this on every Apple story. Yes. Menu, system preferences, software update. 
Yes. Settings, general, software update. And the nice thing is, if you've already got the update because you've got it set to automatic, then it will confirm that you're okay. You're looking for 14.8 on your iPad or your iPhone. On your Mac, you want 11.6. However, if you have an older supported version of macOS, if you have Catalina, there's one update that deals with the Citizen Lab bug, and there's a different update specific for Safari that fixes the anonymous researcher bug. So for Catalina, it's not wrong if it says you have two updates because they're not bundled together on Big Sur macOS 11. They are patched together. The outlier in all of this, again, sadly, Doug, is iOS 12. It is still, as far as we can tell, officially supported by Apple. It does still get updates. I have an iOS 12 device. It is officially up to date when I go and check. According to Citizen Lab, their bug actually applies to all older versions of iOS as well as 14. But as usual, we've got no tell from Apple as to whether a patch might come because it is vulnerable, so bide your time, or it's immune and we'll never need one. Okay, well, keep an eye on that article and look out for updates. It's Apple products vulnerable to forced entry zero-day attack patch now. And let's move on to a story that is completely different from the one we just talked about. This is a Windows zero-day attack involving booby-trapped documents. <laughs> yes, and not coincidentally, I guess this is just the way of the world. This bug is in MSHTML. And MSHTML is to Internet Explorer on Windows as WebKit is to Safari on Apple products. That's the web rendering engine at the core of IE. And even if you're using Edge, the MSHTML renderer is still there. And the Windows MSHTML bug, same idea. Somebody can send you a booby-trapped document and it can trigger this bug by asking for some web content to get rendered that can implant malware on your computer. It's a cautionary tale that just because a, a, a bug has HTML in it does not mean it's only affecting your web browser. This can be Absolutely. served up in other places. With MSHTML, as with WebKit, the whole idea is why not provide a component in the operating system that will let people who need just a little bit of HTML in their app do it using the centralized operating system managed version that can be updated in one go rather than having everybody knitting their own mini web browser. And for better or for worse, Doug, there are surprisingly many apps out there that do use HTML even though they're not browsers. And the obvious example, if you were going to implement help pages, would you knit your own help display engine or would you just ship them in your app as prepackaged HTML files and let WebKit or MSHTML render them for you? So you're quite right. The problem with bugs in these core parts of web engines on any operating system platform is they can have a very big reach and they can be tickled, as it were, from all over the place. Okay, and we have a series of tips for people, one of them being a little bit of breaking news here. We yes, um, record indeed. this show on a Tuesday, and it is Patch Tuesday, and hot off the press is the patch that takes care of this bug. Yes, that's the good news. Our last item of advice when we wrote this up on Software's Naked Security last week was keep your eyes peeled for a patch from Microsoft 
looks like they made it. So that's CVE 2021-40444. So that's your ultimate fix. Get the patch and then this bug is closed off. So it doesn't matter whether it comes in via doc files or spreadsheet files or RTF files or whatever it is. If you can't get the update out or in any case to reduce your attack surface and your risk, we have a whole load of other advice on the Naked Security article. In particular, that if Office tries to warn you about active content in a document that you received from outside, don't just go, oh, well, she'll be right. I'll enable it. You should never really need to receive a document from someone you've never met before that contains active content. If they had your best interests at heart, they would arrange the document so that was not necessary. And the flip side to that advice is if you are a system administrator, there are a whole load of group policy settings you can use on Microsoft Windows networks to actually give you stricter control over how easy it is for users to escape from the office safety measures by mistake. Now, none of those directly protect against this particular hole, but perhaps you want to use this 2021-40444 as a reason to stop, think, and review what your security settings are relating to things like Office files that arrive from outside. Okay, that is Windows Zero Day MSHTML attack. How not to get booby trapped on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And we'll take a quick break for this week in tech history. We have a trio of Apple happenings this week in tech history. This week, on September 16th, 1985, Steve Jobs resigned after being forced out at Apple. And this week, again on September 16th, but this time, in 1997, Steve Jobs returned to Apple. I did not know it was the exact same date, just 12 years apart. It's almost as though they planned it that way, Doug. Incredible. <laughs> he was named interim CEO. But perhaps most importantly, this week, on September 15, 1986, the Apple II GS was released. Where I came from, you were lucky to have an Apple IIe. The E meant it was enhanced over a standard Apple II. If you were really lucky, you had an Apple II C, the C meaning compact and easy to move around. Our family had one of these. And if you were extremely lucky, you had the Apple II GS, the GS meaning graphics and sound. Boy, did I want one of these. Is that what GS meant? Graphics and sound? Graphics and sound. You know, all these years, I never knew that. I just thought it's got to be called something. I just it was a 2GS. Yeah. It was the one you wanted. I didn't care what it meant. Our neighbor had one. It was just so cool. So those that line, the Apple II line eventually fizzled out, and the GS was the last model produced. The world then turned its attention to the Macintosh family. But in suburban Minnesota in the late 80s, the Apple II GS was a gamer's dream. That's the one I wanted. The other thing that a younger version of Duck and Doug did as youthful as we might have been, that each of us took $50 that we'd scrounged together through our vacation jobs and bought Apple stock, didn't we? Exactly. And uh, then I woke up. It was all a dream. <laughs> well, speaking of crazy, how do you report a bug to McDonald's? A, uh... a non-moth bug. 
Yeah, a, a non-moth bug. This is a, kind of a web developer found. A, a, I'll let you tell the story, but my favorite quote is uh, he he says he puts together this TikTok video because you can't find anyone at McDonald's to report this bug to. You know, you're getting desperate when you decide. Look, I've <laughs> tried email. TikTok. I've tried the telephone. I know. Yep. I'll do dance, dance, cybersecurity revolution on TikTok. And (laughs) And it worked. That's the crazy thing that actually the message somehow got through. So maybe it wasn't such a crazy idea after all. And he ends the message by saying, I have the keys to the kingdom and I don't want them. The story behind the story seems to be that he received legitimately, presumably, he received a promotional email from Maccas. But what he noticed is just above the graphical parts, the, the HTML parts of the email, there was some weird-looking text that, being a web developer himself, he, he runs a boutique company that does analytics and revenue collection for social media creators. He recognized those strings, presumably having used them himself, as Azure authentication tokens, including what looked like a password. I'm, I'm guessing here, but you can imagine there's a bit of a uh, web-based API code that does a web request to a database. Some of the database query text, the input data got mixed up with the output data and jammed into the email where it didn't really fit. So as well as dear your name here, he had all this JSONic stuff at the start. And that's what he meant by the keys to the kingdom. And I guess he was inferring that if it had leaked into the email he got, then there could be hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the UK who'd received the same promotional email with the same authentication credentials. And as you say, he couldn't find anyone to tell. My understanding is he figured, when in doubt, start with a central switchboard. But apparently he phoned the number and he just got a recorded message saying, hey, all the admin people, etc., are all working <laughs> from home. Oh. Uh, so no one's in the office. Oh, no. And, you know, when you're emailing people that you know, and maybe even you've emailed before at the company, if it's not a known working designated security reporting related email address, that was a very long sentence, then when you send those emails, if you don't hear back, it's sort of like Apple's security reports, isn't it? You don't know whether somebody's listening and they just have no idea what to do, whether somebody's heard you and simply doesn't care. So when it comes to the challenge of how to make it easy to report bugs when there's not always a clear way to report bugs, thankfully, there is a proposal on the horizon, is there not? Yes, my understanding is that this proposal, that the core of it was accepted by IANA, the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, numbers and names. You know, the people who decide port 25 is going to be email. Port 443 is going to be secure HTTPS. The people who decide that, say, a file like robots.txt is going to control how a well-defined search engine will access your site. Everyone's used to these special port numbers and special file names and special URLs that do exist. For example, like robots.txt, which any web developer will know is how you tell a search engine which bits of your website it should be interested in indexing and which bits you either don't want it to index, please stay away from, or are worthless indexing because they're just transient and they'll be different tomorrow. 
And this proposal says, why don't we have a file called security.txt? And you can stick it either basically in the root directory of your website. So you could go to, say, sophos.com forward slash security.txt. You can do that. I suggest you do that. And you will get a simple, flat text file that tells you how to get hold of us when you've got cybersecurity stuff to report. Look at that. It worked. I went there. Yeah. It works. And if you don't want to put it in the root directory of your website, there's a standard place on things like web servers, a directory or a URL component where you can stick so-called well-known URLs. And that is the unusually but memorable enoughly named directory dot well dash known. So for example, if you on, on Naked Security website, Sophos Naked Security is hosted by WordPress. WordPress is owned by automatic.com. Uh, That's automatic with two T's. So they've done it the they've done it the dot well known way. So if you go to automatic.com forward slash dot well dash known slash security.txt, you will find out where you could report security stuff. For example, if you found something in the WordPress backend that hosts Naked Security, you could report it to us as well if you wanted. The idea is that data, there's no fancy stuff. It's just supposed to be a straight text file. And the first and most important group of lines, or the first line typically will be contact, colon, space, an email address, which is monitored by people inside your organization who genuinely care about cybersecurity. The idea is, let's make it easy, like we did with robots.txt to tame the whole search engine situation back in the 90, late 1990s. Let's have security.txt to tame the whole whom do I tell problem that exists to this day. I'm happy to report that I went to mcdonalds.com slash security.txt and ended up on a Swedish 404 page. Oh, so they still haven't done it. Yeah, it says, Hur kam du hit? Det er lunt vi halper digut. I don't know what that means, but if I translate it... I don't, I don't think any Swedish person says, knows what it means either, Doug. Clearly, uh, but it's a perfect, uh, perfect accent. It's, very good. Thank you. Swedish McDonald's 404 page. Still no easy way to report it to McDonald's, but yeah. they're, they'll, they're probably working on it. I bet you there are lots of sites that over the last weekend suddenly added security.txt because if you've just got a small boutique website and you're just going to put that simple like a five-line text file in the root directory of your web server where you've already got robots.txt it's actually jolly easy to do probably saw this story and said oh no and speaking of oh no what a segue great segue doug thank you so much but uh if they oh no this week the reddit user mcfly delorean great name writes <laughs> okay, so this person writes, uh, my mother-in-law is a very non-tech savvy person. She is one of those people that are absolutely not interested in learning how to do the most basic stuff and always keeps asking other people to do it for them. We all have people like this in our lives. So I'm unsure what the problem was this time, but the solution involved a right click to open the context menu and selecting one of the options. At first, she was instructed by a phone. It would not work. 
Then the screen was shared, and it became clear that something was going fundamentally wrong. Whenever my mother-in-law was performing a right-click, the context menu would fail to open. I still don't know how, but at some point, my genius of a wife figured it out. For a left click, her mom would use the index finger of her left hand on the touchpad of her laptop, whereas for a right click, guess what she would use? The index finger of her right hand, her right index finger for a right click. It's tough. Explaining the right click to someone who's not very tech savvy is actually not easy, especially when they have a, a touchpad. Am I right? Yes, it is odd, isn't it? That particularly since I'm left-handed and I'm I'm kind of very left-handed. I I, I mouse left-handed. Yeah, so I click both the buttons with my left hand. Maybe we should be saying left button click, right button click, middle uh -huh. button click. Yeah, and you have like the two finger click now, or hold down the key and press it. It's getting it's getting very confusing if you're Golly, uh, those, for a first time. Yeah, and the Macs, the MacBooks were the first ones to do that when they got the you know those touchpads that don't actually click. Mm -hmm. When I got my first Mac, that was like that, and the touchpad clicked. I noticed that when you turn the power off, it didn't click. And it took me a while to realize, you know, that click, it's actually clicking back at you. It's like some haptic feedback thing. So when you disable the touchpad and you touch it, it doesn't click because it doesn't actually move. It's just a glass sheet, you know, like the front of a mobile phone. And golly, the, I remember accidentally one day discovering the system references menu for the touchpad on the Mac. And they've got like one finger, two fingers upside down three fingers mm -hmm. with the other hand <laughs> held up to the heavens, yeah. three fingers <laughs> with a swipe of the leftmost one. I mean, there's about 12 of the jolly things. And I thought, well, I'll practice this. I could get the one finger click and the two finger click and the two finger slide. But the three finger stuff, I just figured life's too short to get the muscle memory to do that. I'd rather memorize a keyboard shortcut. <laughs> Yeah, anyone that uses a, an iPad on a regular basis, it, it, you owe it to yourself to look up the um, the gestures because you can do some crazy things with you know like all five fingers and crumpling it into like the crumpling it into a ball and four Reformats fingers. your hard drive, throws it in the bin. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, don't, oh, yeah, be careful no, with that one. I didn't mean it. <laughs> I was just making rude yeah. gestures. But yeah, so she was right hand clicking. Mm-hmm on the left hand side if you were driving with no disrespect to mcfly delorean's wife's mum but if i were getting a lift with her in a car and i needed to give directions i think i'd spend a few minutes up front agreeing terminology <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure that we didn't end up in the wrong side of town as it were all right, we did some good work here today. I think we got a lot accomplished. And if you have an ONO that you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles or hit us up on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you, until next time, to stay, stay secure. secure.